today on Save As. These small places it might not look fancy or unique or that iconic from outside, but it's such an important pinch point for the community. Welcome to Save As Next Gen Heritage Conservation, an award-winning podcast that glimpses the future of heritage conservation through the work of graduate students at the University of Southern California. I'm Trudy Santmeyer. And I'm Cindy Alnick. So, Trudy. Yes, Cindy? Today we're talking about legacy businesses, which have been around for a minute, but it's this idea of conserving not just a building, but its use. Which is kind of a new angle honestly, for heritage conservation, because it's been so building focused in the past. And so it's exciting to get beyond just the the box mm-hmm. and talk about the culture and the yeah. community that's within. Exactly. Exactly. Our producer, Willis Seidenberg, had a conversation with a recent graduate, Zhao Lingfeng, who really dug in to the stories of the businesses in Chinatown. This was kind of a personal journey for her. She spent a lot of time walking the streets and eating in restaurants and talking to owners of businesses and going to tons of community meetings and really, really trying to understand what was happening in the community beyond what you just see when you go there as a tourist or a casual visitor. And I think her thesis really reflects that in-depth approach that she took, which is exciting. So Without further ado, let's listen to Willa's conversation with Xiaoling. Welcome, Xiaoling, to the Save As podcast. I'm excited to talk to you because that's one of the fun things about doing this podcast is getting to talk to my classmates. But first, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you so much, Willa, for having me in the podcast. My name is Xiaoling Fang. I born and raised in Guangdong Province, China. I um, moved to LA for graduate school and studying heritage conservation and urban planning. What got you interested in the field of heritage conservation? When I was doing uh, undergraduate uh, in China, so my major is cultural industry management. So a lot of topic we uh, touched on is like how to sustain and revitalize ancient villages in China. That gets me really curious. How do people do it in, you know, Western country? So I came here to learn more about the history and the practices for the professionals in this field. And uh, as I go deeper uh, in the heritage conservation, I feel like uh, urban planning is such an important part in this industry. It's like you can't do like heritage conservation without thinking of uh, planning policies. Yeah, they really go hand in hand, don't they? Yes, right, exactly. And I feel like for my thesis, I can't really finish my thesis without having both of those backgrounds and knowledge. Okay, so the name of your thesis is Legacy Business Program Implementation in American Urban Immigrant Neighborhoods. What led you to this topic? 
as an international student from China, it's very natural for me to visit、uh, Chinatown in Los Angeles. It's such a famous spot、uh, for like even people in China, right? As I am Cantonese, and Cantonese is my mother tongue, people. Was speaking、uh, Cantonese when they were, you know, in the restaurants, and even when I just, you know, walking around the neighborhood, I hear people talking in Cantonese. So I have this instant personal connections with the neighborhood. I can imagine it must have felt really comforting to be able to listen and speak in your native language. Exactly, exactly. And fast forward to twenty twenty two. I revisited Chinatown in the Spring Festival or Lunar New Year, so I noticed that there are so many development projects going on in the neighborhood, and you can't really ignore the construction site、uh, wherever you you're walking in the neighborhood. So as a heritage conservation student, it Immediately got my attention, right? Right, right. That's kind of like the inspiration of my thesis topic. Like, oh, I noticed that there must be gentrification is going on, and like after I looking it up, the development projects on the websites of some of the developers, you know, and、uh, most of them are like、uh, luxury. Um, residential apartments, commercial complexes, office building, and stuff like that. It's not like really fit in the built environment of the existing community. After knowing more about the future projects of Chinatown, I started worried about like, are the existing you know commercial or residential tenants going to be evicted by these projects? Are the rents are going up? This is like one important factor that、um, drove me to learn more about the community's future, right? And another one is that as a visitor in Chinatown, you know you can tell the cultural identity of the owner or the employees, you know, and get to know the people there, the culture there. So the small businesses are like such important amenities for outsiders of the community, and I can imagine it's also important for the、uh, long-term residents as well. Because Chinatown is a very famous immigrant gateway in the history, and there must be a lot of unique needs for the residents there, right? Because they're from like a very different culture background. So, what exactly is The definition of a legacy business—that's a term that used by a lot of、uh, heritage conservationists.、Um, it's really the long-term, long-standing small businesses in the community. It serves local residents, and sometimes it serves like visitors and people outside the community as well. And most of time, such legacy businesses. They are also a very important place for community members to gather, to communicate, and to pass their culture to next generations. It's just like very day to day life, very organic、uh, place that transmittal of cultures happening. 
it's like a very important place outside of home and work. So that's what you mean about a third space. Yes. Yeah, you mentioned that term in your thesis as a place that's outside of home or work. And how they're culturally significant because they add so much historic culture to a neighborhood. Exactly. And typically these legacy businesses are small and often family-owned, right? Yes, right. We had a class studying the uh, Watts Coffee Shop. Yes, the Watts Coffee House in Watts. That's another, like, inspiration source of my thesis as well because we really get to learn like how these small places might not look fancy or like unique or that iconic from outside but it's such an important pinch point for the community especially for a community with like minority background because there might not that many um, places for them like to gather that's why small businesses, uh, especially the popular one, the historic one in a neighborhood is so important. We should point out that your thesis not only looked at Chinatown, but also the little Tokyo neighborhood. What were some of the small legacy businesses that you discovered in these communities that felt culturally significant to you? Both little Tokyo and Chinatown are historic neighborhoods in LA, right? And um, many of the small business can be traced back to 1880s or even earlier. The stories of the families that running the business are really the touching part for me. Many of these immigrants, they went through such devastating, traumatizing moments and they show this resilience running across generations and still keep their family business survive. That's the part that really amazed me. Some of the small business owners that I interview, they don't really like make it a big deal. Like, oh, this is my family history. Like it's just for for them, it's like a, such a natural thing. And they, some of them like grow up with this, the family owned store, right? So they don't really think like, oh, that's like historically <laughs> significant or culturally significant. Right, right. From my point of view, the spirit and the history that reflect the whole immigrant community are embedded in their family histories and needed to be well-documented, which we have not been doing so far, Yeah, especially for the families in uh, immigrant neighborhoods. Was there one business that you could tell us about that has a particularly interesting story? So the, the one that come to my mind is the Phoenix Bakery. Yes, Phoenix Bakery. That's a really well-known place in Chinatown that I think people all over the city know about. Yes, exactly. But as I go deeper to the uh, family histories, I um, surprisingly found that the founder of Phoenix Bakery, he was also the founder of two other local Chinese-American-owned banks, which is Cathay Bank and East West Bank. The reason why um, he co-founded the Cathay Bank is that he found it was extremely difficult for him to uh, secure a loan for his business despite the success of 
uh, Finnish bakery at that time could be the reason of you know racial hatred or yeah discrimination. So he and other、uh, community leaders in Chinatown founded Kasi Bank to fill the gap. So the Kasi Bank and its West Bank really acted as a、uh, facilitator for the local you know immigrant、uh, community. Uh, Finnish bakery also have this great reputation of、uh, maintaining good relationship with the community members. So I interview one of their operators, Kenneth Chen, the second generation of the Chen family. So、uh, his father、um, uh, founded Finnish bakery. He told me that one of his customers, who was originally the long term residents in Chinatown and then moved to Nevada. In her seventies or eighties, and like her grandchild, have to drive back to Finnish bakery to to buy her grandma the <laughs> this strawberry signature cake every year because because、oh, wow. their grandma just reject any other cakes, you know. <laughs> That's really funny. Yes. And also, Finnish bakery provided so many employment opportunities for the community. So, uh, Ken, uh, told me that uh, many of the kids growing up in Chinatown have had part-time job in um Finnish bakery to earn their allowances.、Mm-hmm. He also told me that one of their long-term um employees who has Latinx background, and he worked at Finnish bakery for over. Twenty years, so recently he retired, but asked to go back to work at Finnish Bakery again because he missed the atmosphere. The community is there, so yeah, we can really see like the social relationships among the community and how the Finnish Bakery, ah,、uh, as a small business in the community, really facilitate those social relationships. You also wrote about a sweet shop in Little Tokyo called Fuyetsudo, and that business was started around 1903, which is pretty early on in Los Angeles history. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah. So the histories of the families that run that business really also a history of the、uh, Japanese American communities in. America. The business was disrupted because of World War Two.、Um, many Japanese immigrants were, you know, forced to those camps. Right, the internment camps. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they have to stop their business and relocate it to other、uh, places. That also happened to other historic、uh, small business in Little Tokyo as well. Many of them. Are、uh, rejected to return to LA because of the traumatizing, and like this family, they return back to Los Angeles and continue their family businesses. You know, it shows high level of resiliency. So, what kinds of challenges or threats are these kinds of businesses in immigrant urban enclaves facing today? I think the property ownership 
is always such a critical, decisive factors contributed to the continuity of、uh, small businesses because of the real estate market in downtown area and near downtown area so desirable for the developers. Um, the rents really goes up, like crazy <laughs> in Chinatown, and so many commercial landlords see the opportunities there, and some of them were not willing to have this formal lease, so tenants have to be in this constant fear of being evicted anytime, which is like very. Unsettling thing, cause like many of them, uh, told me that oh they don't think their landlord will like really kick them off like in the short term, but without a formal lease agreement, they can like get other financial services. For example, if they want to upgrade their equipment, you know, to do maintenance, and they need financial assistance, they can apply for any. You know, loans or even government grants, you know, without a lease. So that's one very big threat that these small business owners are facing. Yeah, and because of these luxury apartment buildings going up, a lot of people from outside the community are moving into the Chinatown and Little Tokyo neighborhoods, and I imagine it must be putting a lot of pressure on. The neighborhoods to have different kinds of services. Yes, right, exactly. So there are many、uh, fancy coffee shops popping up in Chinatown. The cup of coffee will never be affordable for some of you know the long term residents there, because the median household income of residents in Chinatown is low for the city's average, and low for the country's average as well.、Mm-hmm. And these new businesses also give the pressure for the existing long-term businesses in terms of rents, you know, and um the shifts of the demographics of the communities also make the uh long-term business owners feel you know worried about their customer base. Some of them have to you know adapt to the new customers' demographic. And they don't know how to deal with it, and they have to compromise their、uh, cultural identities.、Mm-hmm, right. Another thing I like to、uh, mention is that this working from home trend also kind of shaking the customer base of、um, some of the small business in Chinatown, because the proximity between Chinatown and downtown LA, many of the customer base of the restaurants in Chinatown. Are from office workers in downtown LA, so they travel to Chinatown to grab a great, you know, uh, lunch meals during the lunch time. So yeah, but because of the working from home trend, um, so many of the restaurants are seeing a drastic decline in their customer base. You talk about some of the legacy business programs around the country, such as San Francisco and San Antonio.、Mm-hmm. And then here in LA, we have a fairly new legacy business program. Could you talk about the LA program when it was passed and what some of the features are? Well, LA right now have like two legacy business program. One 
is already uh, fully rolled out by LA Conservancy. So it's a nonprofit professional organization in LA. So they work with Wells Fargo, a bank, to distribute grants for eligible small businesses in LA. So another one is the one that just uh, approved by the LA City Council uh, in July in 2022. The one that I am talking about here is the, the one that run by the city. But the program that approved by the city haven't uh, fully rolled out yet. But we can see this like detailed measures that they are going to implement from these uh, documents that the city published online. Even though it's not like fully rolled out yet, but I think there's like a lot of, you know, innovations. The major one is they have this weighted uh, matrix to evaluate the eligibility of small businesses. Uh, For example, the income level of the neighborhood that the small business is located in into account when they, you know, assess the uh, eligibility of these small businesses. So this is a new one, like across the programs in the states. And another one that uh, really fascinating is that they take the language they use and the items that small business provided as important indicators for the cultural significance of that small businesses. So that's also targeted at immigrant uh, neighborhoods, you know, mm-hmm. and when they can, you know, speak their mother tongue to access those vital goods is like very important for the people there. Mm-hmm. The third one is that the LA program also consider the availability and capacity of applicants to, you know, provide documents or proof when they applying uh, for the uh, registration. So for example, um, many of the business owners were not aware of the importance of, you know, keeping uh, documents, the history of their families. And some of them, you know, they don't even have an actual lease with, uh, with their landlords, right? So for the LA's program, they don't require actual proof or documents from the applicants, but they need to provide the bank statements or, you know, the utility bills as a way to evaluate the continuity of the business that makes sure this program would be inclusive as much as possible. How often is it that these small legacy businesses own their own buildings? Is that not common? No, definitely not. It's like a very rare uh, situation. So that's like why so many legacy businesses are struggling with survival. That's why the rents and the power against the commercial landlord is such important for them. And I know that uh, Little Tokyo, they are exploring this new form of um, community-owned land trust to trying to secure and control some buildings of the significant spots to support their legacy businesses. There are other neighborhoods use land trust as a new tool to control the property ownership for their um, legacy businesses. I know, like, for example, uh, Chinatown in Chicago and Boston, 
in San Francisco, some communities use community benefit agreements as a way to negotiate the newcomers of the communities. The community benefit agreements is the legal contract that negotiated between the developers or the companies moving into the neighborhood. They can use this tool to uh, convey their concerns and channel back uh, resources to the community. And for most of the programs that you studied, what is the age the business has to be to qualify for the program? Most of them use 30 years as a universal threshold. Do legacy business programs need to be paired with historic preservation ordinances? Or are there any instances where a city might have a legacy business program but not have a historic preservation ordinance? So for the legacy business programs that I uh, looked at, um, many of them found the existing historic preservation ordinance is not helping with the existing small businesses. Uh, There is a historic uh, community marketplace called uh, Dynasty Center. Uh, It's facing eviction and there are hundreds of small businesses owners who are the commercial tenants of that market. So I asked them like, have you considered, you know, apply for historical landmark? And uh, many of them told me that they already like uh, look at those tools, but feel like none of them like really um, helping their situation. So that's why we need a legacy business program. It's a combination of economic development tools, economic development policies, and the um, historic preservation. These legacy business programs are more geared toward, you know, marketing uh, assistance, financial assistance, business operation education. But for the historic aspects of the small business, sometimes can get ignored. Of course, we acknowledge that we have to make sure it can survive, right? Mm -hmm. So right now, the effort that legacy business program is putting to document those histories or cultural aspects of the small business only exists in the application process where um, the applicants have to submit this historical narrative statements. They will you know, share their family histories or the associations between their business and the community or the neighborhoods they are located in, but they receive like few guidance. I can see the potential of using this historical narrative forms to use it as cultural heritage inventory, right, for the city. It's a pity, like, not seeing many of the legacy businesses program use that part, you know, to share the histories of those legacy businesses to a broader community. So it's really important that these business owners know how important their cultural history is not only to them, but to people outside of their community. Yeah. And we need to help them know about the tools to document their history. Yeah, exactly. And uh, for the immigrant communities, we also having these language barriers, right? So that's why I also advocate 
my thesis that the uh this city run uh legacy business program should work with local partners who uh build a trust with the uh small business owners there and also speak their own languages. And that's why we need diverse people in the heritage conservation field. Yeah. <laughs> people like you who can connect with these communities, speak the language and understand the cultural legacy that's there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we need more people like you. <laughs> So I noticed in your thesis that you said Los Angeles is prioritizing low-income and ethnic neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that this maybe would help with economic development in those neighborhoods, you know, especially since right now we're in a moment where there's a lot of interest in shopping local. Yeah, right. I I feel like LA is not only, you know, uh, using this uh, legacy business program as a preservation tools, but also use it as a economic development policies to mitigate some of the uh, social issues, for example, uh, income disparity, and, you know, to empower the traditionally underserved neighborhoods, right? That's the um, measures that we haven't seen in other cities' legacy programs. We can definitely see the potential of combining historic preservation uh, strategy and broader urban planning tools or community development tools there. So was there anything that surprised you in the research and the interviews that you did for the thesis? So when I was doing research in Chinatown, I imagined that there may be a, a common vision come from the community, right? But I uh, ended up finding that the community inside is very diverse. I definitely see the great variants of um, the visions and solutions to, you know, the existing issues that come up from different generations of the community members. So I think that is an interesting part <laughs> that I learned from my my experience. So just to wrap up our conversation, you graduated in May, and what are you doing now? I am now working as a regional planner at Southern California Association of Governments. I am uh, working with amazing co-workers who are experts in transportation planning field, uh, trying to study the impact of, for example, the e-commerce industry. We are seeing a lot of uh, more and more deliveries coming from, for example, like Amazon or Walmart, you know, and these trucks are going around our neighborhoods. So we are doing this research about how these, you know, uh, increase of e-commerce, e-shoppings are going to impact our neighborhoods, air qualities, and how does that impact distributed disproportionately uh, among the neighborhoods. Well, that's great work. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you, Xiaoling, for chatting with me today. And I think we'll all be Curious to see how the Legacy Business Program progresses. I definitely see the potential of leverage uh, historic preservation strategies to, you know, broader social issues, how to mitigate um, the social inequity in our society. And that's an exciting field out there for our preservationists to, to do. Thank you so much for being on Save As. 
Thank you, Willa. Yeah, we have such nice, nice talk today. Thanks, Willa, for a fun conversation with Xiaoling,、uh, exploring the neighborhood, and、uh, it makes me want to go for a walk in Chinatown. I have to say. Yeah, I'm getting a little hungry myself, but I'm always <laughs> hungry. So, <laughs> and if you've never been to the Phoenix Bakery to have that strawberry cake,、mm-hmm. oh my goodness, people, you need to go. Do not, do not pause, but immediately journey there. It's delicious. Absolutely, run, don't walk. And Phoenix Bakery is one of the official、uh, legacy businesses of the Los Angeles Conservancy. Uh, so we are going to put a hyperlink to their page on our episode page at SaveAs. dot place. There's been a lot of attention this last year on the situation in Chinatown and what's going on there, and in part because there's、uh, was a big anniversary、uh, that was acknowledged last year of the Chinatown massacre, which was this terrible event that happened and really、uh, was a formative moment in LA's history and our. Uh, sister podcast at the、uh, Institute of California in the West, which is a joint USC Huntington project, has dedicated an entire season to the story about Chinatown and about this Chinatown massacre. And there's a really interesting design competition that's going on right now to create a new memorial in Chinatown to the victims of the massacre, and a lot of interesting public debate about. This issue and sort of raising awareness about this seminal moment in LA's history, so it's kind of exciting. Yes, yes. So we will link to Western Edition on our episode page as well. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Save As, leave us a review, and tell a friend. Tune in next time when we take you to Colonel Allensworth State Historic Park, a town founded by African Americans in the early 20th century in the Central Valley. We'll hear about some interesting things going on to conserve this really unique community. They had the same dream as we had to be able to go somewhere, live independently, and free without prejudice. Everybody's searching for a place called freedom. This episode was produced by Willa Seidenberg. Our original theme music is by Stephen Conley. Additional music for this episode was created by Teddy Seidenberg. Save As is a production of the Heritage Conservation Program in the School of Architecture at the University of Southern California.